G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Wouldn't it be great if we were so um, plugged in to God, so attuned to Him, so um, aware of Him, that as we lived our ordinary lives, we began to see more and more of God, even in the mundane things, even in the little things of life. That is, wouldn't it be great if we began to see Him and experience Him, uh, discern His hand and heart and character, even in the ordinary things of our day-to-day existence? To put it in Bible language, wouldn't it be great if we experienced God, something like the psalm writer did, uh, as Peter just read to us from Psalm 19. Are you ready? So picture this, uh, you, wake, you wake up in the morning, perhaps like this morning, you draw back the curtains, you look out the window and you see the sun hovering just above the horizon there and this, these words flow from your lips. Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, he's pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Just that verse 1, the way he frames the whole thing, the heavens declare the glory of God. Here is a man, I take it, uh, ladies and gentlemen, looking out on a world and saying, wow, I see God there. I see God in all of this. And not in some vague Uh, draw your own conclusions, make of it what you will kind of a way. No, God, the real God, the God who is there, the God who made this stuff and this man knows and experiences and connects uh, with this God and where does it lead him? Well, to marvel, I think, isn't that the tone of Psalm 19, at least the first section, to wonder to this sense of, well, it's a glad heart, it's full of joy and thankfulness as he looks out on the world. Now, the trouble is, I think for most of us, most of us at least, our days are not filled with moments of this divine clarity and connection and uh, wonder and all the rest. I suspect it's fairer to say we're a bit less confident than all that and encounters with God seem to come around only very rarely. Now, when they do, it's rarer still that they have that marvelling, wondrous, um, thrilling thankfulness about them. Now, I wonder, folks, even if I'm not describing you personally, am I describing your friends, maybe? Can you think of people in your life who seem to have this kind of uh, non-relationship with God, I suppose, who find themselves a bit at a loss when it comes to figuring out God and those feelings of aloneness or at least uncertainty, um, a lack of clarity or confusion, God seems impenetrable, undiscoverable, there's that uncertainty, can I even say ignorance, if that's not too strong a word to use, of not being able to put it all together. Coupled with that, 
for some, a frustration about that. Um, And even an envy, perhaps, at those more spiritual folks out there who seem with such ease to be able to connect, with such confidence to be able to put it all together, all things God. No, for many people, the window on God in our world has misted over. It has become very opaque indeed. We have to content ourselves, therefore, with educated guesses, with hunches about what God must be like, knowing full well the danger that we run of cooking up a God after our own image. Now, into all of that, let me give you, uh, I mentioned it before, our topic for the coming month. We're looking at the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of Scripture, which probably sounds kind of dry. Let me give away the punchline, though. See, I believe that a biblical view of Scripture stands to meet that inner yearning that we have to connect with God, to know God, to understand God, to know Him and for Him to know us in a healthy but happy and, yes, even marvelling and wondrous way. How so? Uh, How is it that a doctrine of Scripture um, does that? Well, as I hope to show, here's what the Bible says about itself. Here is the Scripture's own doctrine of Scripture. It's that in the Scriptures... God turns back our ignorance and our guesswork and generously, openly, lovingly relates to us that we might personally know Him and enjoy Him and thrive in Him. And as we'll see in coming weeks, that revelation centres on God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is empowered by God the Spirit, not only because the Scripture is His words... (laughs) at that authoring end of things. But even now, God, the Holy Spirit, empowers us to meet Him, yes, as we read and labour and dwell on and learn and marinate in the Scriptures. Put simply, in the Scriptures, we meet God as He really is, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in all that He's done, and by the Spirit of God Himself as both author and empower and guide now. The Scriptures stand to give life and change lives. So with that in mind, let's pray as we come to a variety of passages um, across our Bible. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, our all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God, we confess before you today our ignorance, our self-interest, our impotence, our lack of power. Oh God, beside you... Even the smartest amongst us, what do we really know? Beside you, even the wisest amongst us, what do we know about life? Besides you, our muscle, our power, our influence, it's fleeting and it is feeble. And yet you, O God, you have stooped to meet us that we might might find and know you as our God. And so, God, we ask, Open our eyes, quiet our hearts this morning and this coming month, we pray, that we'd sit under your care and under your guidance, under your word. May a right and proper grasp of your word take a hold of us increasingly. May it shape us, may it inspire us, and not just in our church life, but in all of life, our whole spiritual walk, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, I'm conscious, I used a pretty strong word there in the introduction, ignorance. Ignorance. We are ignorant. Uh, many of us, I think, feel, actually, at some level when it comes to figuring God out. But I'd like to go one step further. I've used a strong word. I, I feel that I need to be, I haven't been harsh enough. Because the Bible would argue we're not just ignorant um, as a race, as a people, as human beings. No, our inability to join the dots, to discern God in our world, it's actually a culpable ignorance, a culpable, it's our fault and it runs to the very heart of the problem between us and our God because it is evidence that as people, things are not okay with us. I'm putting it mildly. Could we take a look together at Romans 1? And this time we will look at Romans 1. Sorry for that curveball. Saw that note of shock on your face before. Romans? I'd prepared Hebrews. You read the right one to us, Pia. But for now, all of us, let's look at Romans. It'll come up on the screen uh, behind me. Um, This is going to be our starting point in the book of Romans today. Um, And it's simply this. As human beings, as human beings in God's world, we actually need the Scriptures We need a word from God and that's precisely because our rebellious human hearts, we've become thoroughly practised at shutting God out of our lives, out of our heads, out of our way of looking at the world. Take a look, it's strong language here. Uh, So in Romans chapter 1 from verse 18, the wrath of God, so the anger of God, the wrath of God, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who do what? Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles." I'd like you to cast your mind back, if you would please, to the Garden of Eden. You have Adam and Eve there, standing in the garden, standing beneath the branches of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil on that fateful day. Uh, They stood there as children of a speaking God, a God whose words had called them and everything around them into being. Let there be light, day one. Let there be an expanse between the waters. Let the water under the sky be gathered. And so land appeared. Let the land produce vegetation. God's words, powerful words. Uh, Let the lights in the expanse of the sky be there to separate day from night. Let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above and let the land produce living creatures. Of course, on day six, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and male and female, he created them. They had words from God that had brought them into being. They had words from God still ringing in their ears though, you may eat from any tree in the garden but not that one. But they had fruit in their hands that 
was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. You see, the Bible's claim here in Romans 1 is that you and I aren't so different to dear old Adam and Eve, to our first parents. When it comes to God, our inner sinner, if I can put it that way, what does it say? Suppresses the truth that we ought to be able to plainly see, refuses to acknowledge what's plain about God in the world. And we are in the practised habit of exchanging all that's true and glorious and beautiful and obvious about God for lesser gods, for half-truths that feel easier to us, for more palatable, sweet caricatures. This is the way Romans is describing the human race and the tragedy that we've fallen into, even though evidence of God lies all around us. Now, why is this important? Because when we or when our friends look out at that sunrise, well, when we gaze upon the world and we see God in the beauty of some flower or a woman or in the taste of a meal or uh, we experience him in all sorts of ways, the Bible gives us pause to say, hang on a second, how are you going to test that? How do you know that you can trust yourself to imagine God as he really is? And most pointedly, how do you know you aren't just cooking him up to your liking and taste and palate, not unlike our first parents, do you see? We've got a serious problem as human beings when it comes to forming any kind of useful, workable opinion of God, and the Bible calls us on it, it, let alone any connection with God, let alone any closeness to God. We're in trouble from the start. Exodus chapter 4, come with me there, Exodus chapter 4. We're going to the other end of our Bible now, Exodus chapter 4. Um, early on, maybe there's some way uh, through this um, ignorance and inability and self-interest and our tendency to, to make a God after our own preference. God speaks, Exodus 4. Uh, in fact, God, it seems, <laughs> have a listen to this story, he is dead set determined to speak to humankind and this is just one, act, one example of it. But make no, mis- make no mistake, a word from God is a fearsome thing. I'd like us to reflect on that. Take a look with me. So we've got, uh, we're in Exodus way, way back. This is the time of Moses. Uh, so Moses, the old prophet Moses, this is where it all began for dear old Moses in Exodus 4. And if you remember uh, the Prince of Egypt story, the whole Exodus story, the situation is pretty bleak. Moses has effectively banished himself from Egypt uh, and the hostile Pharaoh character, that godlike king over Egypt, under whom God's own people languish, at sl- languish as slaves at this point in their history. And into this, God gives Moses a job of being a spokesperson, a prophet, a mouthpiece for God's own words. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1, pick it up there with me. Uh, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, to Moses, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake 
and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. You see what he's doing there? I'll give you these tricks, these miracles, because people need to know it's God speaking when you speak, Moses. My words, not just your words. Uh, God goes on, we won't read all the verses here, God goes on to give Moses another couple of miracles, again, to validate that his words are from God. We'll skip over those. But it is words that God is concerned with. Have a look at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak and I'll teach you what to say. Verse 13, but Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. Get a load of that. As if Aaron were your mouth and as if you were God to him. I just want to point out, isn't it something of a fearsome thing to have God's words floating about in our world? The words of the God of the universe on the lips of a mere human being in the world as it was at that moment with Moses and what he was being asked to do. Isn't it something of an awesome, almost terrifying thought that a prophet, that any prophet, that any person, any flawed and insecure human carried along by God, yes, but could deliver the word of God himself as if you, Moses, were God to him. And further on, that is exactly the tone that Moses went on to strike when he uh, approached again and again Pharaoh, that godlike king of Egypt, that slave master over God's own people. Uh, what was the phrase that he used again and again? Moses, as he confronted Pharaoh, he confronted him with this phrase, this is what the Lord says. Friends this morning, brothers and sisters, let us not grow dull or seared to this enormous and piercing claim that God speaks in our world. He speaks words and he means to be heard and he makes provision to make it so. And yes, that means he even uses flawed human beings for the task and has throughout history. Don't let that trip you up though, nor should it have tripped Moses up because who gave man his mouth, do you see? No, the fearsome word of God is in our world. It is to be heard and it is to be found. The question that should remain for us today is simply this, where, where is it to be found? If God's word is in the world, then where do I find it? And perhaps even more pointedly still, once you find it, will we listen? Will we listen?
Would you please now come with me to uh, Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament uh, to chapter 1. What we're trying to do as we put together a doctrine of Scripture is not just take one passage and what one passage says, we're trying to put together what the whole counsel of God right across the Scriptures, right across the Bible says about this topic in front of us today. And so we've um, uh, taken a few different examples, we're centering now in the New Testament again, which starts in Hebrews chapter 1, really starts to drawing the threads of the whole Bible together for us in a super helpful uh, way. In the past, Hebrews tells us, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Right? We've just read one example of that. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Do you follow that last little bit? Just the verse 4 and 5 little bit about the angels there. Do you know what that bit's doing there? I think the first four verses or so, three or four verses, uh, fairly straightforward. In the past, God did this, uh, now this. What, what's the deal with the angels bit there? We could probably say uh, quite a lot more on it, but I just want to say this. Angels, biblically, what is their job? They're messengers, aren't they? Messengers of God's Word, uh, in other words. In fact, the word here for angels, um, uh, elsewhere the same word gets translated simply as messengers because in other contexts it's not referring to angelic messengers, it is just referring to messengers, people, because depending on the context that's exactly what the word can mean, but here I think it is talking about actual angels, but nevertheless the point remains the same, what are they doing? They are still messengers carrying God's Word. You think of every time an angel appears on the scene in human history, as in in biblical history, in the Bible's use of angels and their appearance there, can you think of a single time where their job isn't to either deliver a message in terms of speaking about God or praising God in words? Can you think of an example? Talk to me about it later if you can come up with one. Uh, so, So what's this little bit here To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? I think the point here is this, isn't it? If you today want to hear the voice of God, not in the past at many times, in various ways through the prophets, no, today, if you want to hear God's word today, you don't have some mere messenger some mere messenger, some mere angel, like, uh, or some messenger like Moses, you'll be as God to him. No, you have God himself. You have God the Son 
S-O-N. You want to know what God is like? You, you know, just wish that you could connect with Him. Wouldn't it be great if we began to see God and experience Him and discern Him in His heart and His character uh, with truth and confidence, you know, with, with no more guesswork or frustration or spiritual envy of those spiritual types or whatever. Here's what Hebrews says, well, come and meet Him. Come and meet Him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Come and meet him. And not only that, what does it say? He has, verse 3, provided purification for sins and sits now in heaven. In short, it's saying, dread not the word of God, for he has forgiveness for you. And I want to say, friends, I know that much of this stuff, this is bread and butter. You know, this is kind of the, it's woven into what we do here every week. A devotion to the Word of God, we hear the Word of God, we listen to the Word of God, we study it through the week in Bible study. It's woven into what we're doing. But I want to say, friends, this is good news. And sometimes it is worth going back to the basics and realising why it is such good news. God means to be found, He means to be heard, He means for His Word to find you. And he personally made that happen in the Lord Jesus Christ, this clear, this full and this final and this forgiving encounter with the God of heaven. Now, in closing, um, may I share with you a message that I got recently from a mate of mine? Um, I'm not going to tell you who it's from. Um, I don't reckon he'd mind me sharing it though. And, but the reason, here's why I want to share it with you. I think he has found a way to put into words that great search that many of us have been on at one time or another, perhaps some of us are still on, um, and I'm sure that many of us have friends who are still on this journey, and it's a search that I believe meets its only happy conclusion in the Lord Jesus himself. So my mate messaged me this, he said, I've been struggling a bit lately with the whole, is there a higher power question? And why are we all here in the first place? He says, I almost walked into church at Easter, but chickened out at the last minute. Don't know why, I just did. I feel like I need to investigate this, to answer some questions in my own life and where I'm at with my place here. I guess this is a long-winded way of asking, where should I start? Do I just read the Bible and hope it makes sense? If you could spare some time to point me in the right direction, I'd greatly appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Uh, brothers and sisters, how would you reply? What's your answer to where should I start? I want to say Hebrews 1 helps us out enormously here, where it, where it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. Let's meet up and read together about Jesus. I think that's got to be part of my answer at least, doesn't it? Let's meet up and we'll read together about Jesus. Now, whether we've, you you know, you, me, whether we're just starting out or whether we've been at this for our whole lives, we begin our our doctrine of scripture with this. Our God is a God who means for us to know him. His words have always sung that tune and his full and final word 
is the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the question that we left with. When his voice comes ringing in our ears, will we listen? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We must pay more careful attention. Let's pray together, brothers and sisters. Our great God in heaven, we hear your word. What will we do with it? Father, increasingly, may we be a church that prizes your word, thrives on it, desires even more of it in our personal lives and in our thoughts and minds. Would you please awaken our hearts more and more to desire an encounter with you as you come to us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus in fullness. God, we pray that you'd teach us too to be great ambassadors of your word in every part of life, unashamed and undaunted, and even generous and warm and confident that we have met our God in a real and personal way, in the same way that's the way for all. Lord God, we pray lastly, would you please give us humility before your word? Sometimes we get to thinking that we know how the world should be and what's right and how things ought to work. May we have the humility to hear your word as it is, as the word of God, and so to treat it with care, to listen with diligence, to clear out our ears, so to speak, that we might hear you rightly and submit to your good word in faith. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.